there was yet another racist incident um, involving Vinicius. Real Madrid failed to beat Seville away uh, 1-1 there. And the game was marred because uh, once more, Vinicius Jr., subject to racism um, from the crowds, he put out a statement after the game. I just wanted to read it because I think it's fantastic in the way he speaks and the way he is approaching the problem. So there's a photo attached to the tweet of the incident and you can see in the background someone um, clearly gesturing and he also says that he's got another video. Um, This is the statement. Unfortunately, I have access to a video of another racist at Saturday's game, this time carried out by a child. It is so sad to see that there is no one to educate her. I invest a lot in education in Brazil to train citizens with different attitudes. He goes on to say that the face of today's racist is stamped on websites just like it was other times. He says that he hopes the Spanish authorities will do their part and change legislation for once so that these people can be criminally criminally punished. I don't know what the law is in Spain, but the fact that you can't be um, criminally charged for something like this is, is kind of crazy. He says it would be a great first step to prepare for 2030 World Cup. I am here to help. And then he ends by saying, sorry to sound repetitive, but this is episode number 10 and counting. Now that is a really powerful statement, I thought, when I read it, because it's just, there is, you could, there's no argument to it. He even provides help, he, you know, he's paying for education in another country, and this is the reason I'm doing it. He's basically saying there is an educational problem. There is, you are taught racism, aren't you? When you're born, you're not racist. You don't even know what colours are. And he's alluding to that in Spain, and he's speaking from personal experience. It's like, well, he doesn't even need to prove anything, does he? It's all there. It's a crazy thing, and for it to keep happening time and time again, and, you know, listen, England isn't um, guilt-free in this aspect either, but this is incredible. Yeah, so this this weekend, the, the football wasn't the main story, I don't think. You had the racism incident there with Vinicius and obviously Sir Bobby Charlton passing away as well. Um, just a few hours before Manchester United beat Sheffield United away from home 2-1. Again, not the greatest Man United performance, um, but back to Sir Bobby Charlton. It's not lost on me that I was, I'm nowhere near old enough um, to have seen him play live, but I think he has a sort of place in everyone's mind who's grew up watching football, especially me, Man United, dominating when I was growing up. Um, Seeing him, it was just like, oh, there's that guy in the crowd. But then you realise who he is and you read about his story, what he went through to to be on a plane crash and survive anyway. One miracle, right? But then to have the mental fortitude to go again and, and in the way that he did as well. Um, absolutely incredible story, and yeah, may he rest in peace. Yeah, so it was a weekend where I thought off-the-pitch stuff sort of um, got the headlines, or is what we will remember this weekend for. The football was okay, the Arsenal-Chelsea game was exciting. Um, I think the red card in the Merseyside derby probably killed the game a little bit, although impressive performance from both teams, to be honest. Um, Everton defended really well, even after the red card, especially after the red card. I thought their defence was great. Unlucky in that that first goal was a penalty for Liverpool. Um, But, you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. If you've got all the ball, you're going to create chances. You're going to make something happen, even if it is a penalty. They were really hard to break down, Everton. So I think they deserve credit. And the young defender, uh, Jared Branthwaite, he's going right to the top. I mean, he is so assured. He looks to be growing in confidence with every single performance he puts in. Um, And uh, to play the way he did with 10 men as well, he, he he's really, really good at just stopping things getting past him, um, which is always good when you're a centre-back. 
But yeah, just 21 years old, I think there will be a few clubs knocking on the door, maybe even Liverpool, um, to be honest. He would be a, a very, very good partner for Van Dijk and also you know, for Canate, maybe long term. And elsewhere, it was another defeat. I spoke about how important that game was for Bournemouth, given the tough start that they'd had. These home games, you know, you might have a fluke result against Man United where you beat them or something. But I mean, I know it as a Blackpool fan because when we were in the Premier League, we beat Liverpool. I think we beat Spurs. But those games against Bolton and Blackburn and, and teams like that, they're the ones that send you down if you do eventually go down. And, you know, I hope Bournemouth can sort of find something from somewhere. I think that's that run of games at the start was so brutal that it might have just um, knocked their confidence a little bit. It's a, it's a massive win for Wolves. It's an impressive win for Wolves. Um, and it will be something that delights Gary O'Neill, given the way he left Bournemouth. But he got a good reception, it must be said, as you would expect from the Bournemouth fans. I feel many of them um, would take him right now. Brentford back on it and more misery for Burnley. And you do worry for Burnley a little bit. Um, they're just not finding the goals. Um, Brentford 3-0, pretty comprehensive. Burnley, whilst they had 50% of the ball, they had just one shot on target. So it was a very, very comprehensive uh, victory for Brentford, who had 10 shots on target. And it's a bit of a theme, isn't it? I remember the Man United game, um, Burnley, I think they had 66% possession, but it just never feels like they're going to break through the lines. They're just, there's just something missing in there. Um, and Vincent Company will know that. Maybe he's going to have to change something because, you know, the transfer window's closed and it's um, in football terms and in terms of the games to come, it's a long time till January. And he might want to just make sure they're not adrift by January. So, yeah, he might have to uh, um, sacrifice some of his principles. I mean, they want to play a certain way, don't they? But in the Premier League, it's a results business. And again, Blackpool fan here, speaking from experience, the football we played in the Premier League was um, right up there. You know, um, it was credited in, in a way that sort of people talk about Brentford and Brighton coming up and um, fearless. I mean, we didn't have the defensive quality um, that, that those teams do. Um, and that's why we went down. But yeah, it was a it was a joy to watch. Manchester City, 2-1 winners. It was quite comfortable for City, as you would expect. Um, Edison on the bench, incidentally. I don't know if that was uh, because of travel time or something. Maybe he's been playing in Brazil. Um, keeper didn't do anything wrong, really. And Man City just in total control. This is the thing against City. You, you can't make a mistake because the second goal for City, it was a mistake from the Brighton defender, he sort of just loses the ball, he just gives it to Haaland in a dangerous area, Haaland scores from just outside the box, you cannot do that, you just can't do it, and if you don't do that, maybe you're in the game, you know, it's 1-0 going into the 60th, 70th minute, and you get a goal back, as Brighton did, but you just can't be making these mistakes, because when you when you give a 2-0 lead to City, it's more often than not game over, Um because they're just going to change their complete tempo. They're just going to keep the ball. They're going to make you run. You're going to be tired, especially at the Etihad. You're playing into their hands. Tolly March went off as well with a pretty nasty-looking injury. He was stretched off. Um, it was a right knee, I think, just sort of buckled underneath him. I don't think there was direct contact uh, from the defender. So, yeah, with Europe as well, I think I did say on an earlier podcast that I think Brighton will struggle this season, but I do think they'll have a good run in the Europa, I think it just comes at a cost, doesn't it? We saw it last year with uh, West Ham. We've seen it countless times with teams where you just can't maintain both because you've got to rotate. Maybe your squad's not set up for rotation. I don't think that's the case with Brighton, by the way. I think he's very capable of rotating. But now, if you're going to be getting injuries to players like Solly March as well, it just thins the squad a little bit more. 
I still think Brighton will be absolutely fine, by the way. I compared them to West Ham in that you know, West, Ham, West Ham were struggling against relegation for most of last season. I have no, no doubt that um, Brighton will be able to push for that sort of top 10 space again. Newcastle, this was another one of the um, off-the-field stories, wasn't it, going into the weekend's fixtures. Tonali, will he play, won't he? Um, he didn't play, but he came on. And um, he came on around the 70th minute. And uh, it was, yeah, all he had to do was keep the ball because they were already 4-0 up. Um, a superb performance. Another great home performance from Eddie Howe and Newcastle. They are so good at home under him. Um, and that started straight, straight away. As soon as he came in, they were picking up 1-0s, 2-0s. They are so good defensively. And on paper, that their strike force, you would look at it and maybe you'd say, oh, I'd rather have James Madison than him. Or I'd rather have, you know, Mason Mount than him. Or I'd rather have um, Slobbish Live than him. But Eddie Howe has this amazing talent of, of getting more out of players. And if they're hardworking, he'll take them. That, that's it. He'll take them and he will make them better. And I think he is showing this season again. Because if that's it, you know, they had a slow start, um, which is fine, understandable. Some teams do. Some teams take a while to get into it. You know, it's like City. We know that they've had a bit of a stumble recently, but there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they will go on a sort of 12 to 15 week run where they're just amazing. They're unplayable. They control games. They're just, you know, 2-0, no no fuss. Sort of like yesterday. They were in control of that game all the time. And, and they, had, they were able to bring on um, Ruben Diaz and Jack Grealish around 70 minutes. I mean... That's the sort of duo you want to bring onto a pitch, isn't it? Just to calm things down. It was actually immediately after the goal um, that the changes were made, which I thought was ballsy, but pretty interesting. John Stones didn't seem to, you know, seem to understand. Um, but yeah, Newcastle, St. James's Park. I think they'll go far in, in the Champions League. I've said it again at the start of the season on a podcast that Eddie Howe is really, really good at those sort of one-off tactical battle games, which is, you know, there's going to be plenty of them in the Champions League and I also think it's why he would make a fantastic England manager. Nottingham Forest uh, 2, Luton 2 and this, I thought this game would be off. I saw some videos, uh, my sister lives in Nottingham and uh, it was flooded, you know, the roads were flooded, um, around the ground was flooded but um, yeah, this was still on and uh, fair play, 2-2. I think Forest will be upset with this one. They were 2-0 up and this is the difference, isn't it? A team like City that can see out these games. Nottingham Forest, 76 minutes they scored the second goal. Anthony Alanga with a couple of assists and Chris Wood with a double as well. So a comfortable afternoon up until 83 minutes when um, Luton got their first goal and then it was the 92nd minute when they got an equaliser. And as I was saying before with, you know, it's these games that can send you down. I don't think Forrest are in any trouble, but for Luton, it's these games that can really prove as a, as a foundation to, to, to just go and, and lift your season. Look at Bournemouth last year. It was these kind of games where they would just get these points, get these random clean sheets. Um, and Gary O'Neill, yeah, deserves massive credit. And as I said before as well, I bet there were some fans in that stadium yesterday watching Bournemouth Wolves that were thinking... Why, oh, why did we sack him? Um, why did we chase the the shiny sort of toy, you know, the, the European manager when Gary O'Neill did a fantastic job? I mean, if you look at the defence before and after, it's just crazy. So around Europe for a moment then, um, Napoli and Inter both got victories. Inter now won 7 out of 9, 22 points. AC Milan right behind them with a game to play. I'm recording this on Sunday morning, so a few more games to uh, to digest today in Serie A. And um, I will do that because, you know, the Premier League, I think the game that's on today 
is Aston Villa West Ham. So it could be a good game, but I think I'll I'll, I'll take in Serie A instead. Um, in the Bundesliga yesterday, Harry Kane continued his scoring run for Bayern Munich. Three-one victory for them away from home. Um, easy stuff to be honest. But Leverkusen, Javi uh, Alonso's Leverkusen, he took over from them. They were in the relegation zone last year. Um, no wonder he's being touted for the Real Madrid job um, and for I mean whatever big six job goes. You know, whoever sacks their manager next, Alonso is the favourite already. Like, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, they play amazing football. They are unbeaten after eight games. They've won seven, scored 25 goals. Only Bayern Munich have scored more with 26. So that gives you a you know a barometer of how many goals they're scoring because Bayern score a lot of goals. And Stuttgart as well, second. Bayern Munich are third, by the way. So this has been a great start to the Bundesliga season. I think out of those four teams, because I'm including uh, Borussia Dortmund there in fourth, they are also unbeaten. So you've actually got three unbeaten teams in Germany, Leverkusen, Munich and, and Dortmund. And I do think that while Stuttgart have started really well, 21 points after eight games is, is fantastic. Whilst they've started really well, I don't think they will maintain it out of the three clubs. It's going to be very interesting to see how Leverkusen do, given that they're in Europe as well um, and that they'll want to do well in Europe. No doubt about that. When you look at Bayern Munich, their squad, they're just capable of, of rotating and probably still winning the league. Um, Dortmund, they won as well at the weekend. So hopefully, given how close Dortmund got last year, I think I think me as a neutral, I would love to see Dortmund do it. But I really do like what Leverkusen and uh, Alonso are doing. So let's, uh, yeah, let's keep an eye on the Bundesliga over the next few weeks. So thank you for listening to that one. It was um, a bit more of a reactionary podcast. I'm just trying out different formats um, on different days and stuff. So this one, I've literally just opened the site um, and I'm just looking at results. And I'm just, but the mic is turned on. It's what I would usually do anyway on a Sunday, just just see what's going on in some of the the divisions and stuff, um, and uh, just generally give thoughts. Yeah, on the Premier League and and the, the the major leagues in Europe. So if you've enjoyed it, let me know. Leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever, YouTube, and um, I'll see you in the next one.